Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Now, if you've been following along with us during our Holy Week journey, you know that we have arrived on Good Friday, which can be a hard day. When I was chatting with my kids this week and telling them that we would be going to church on Good Friday, one of them piped up and said, but Jesus died on that day. Why do they call it Good Friday? They should call it Bad Friday. And you know what? She made a valid point because Good Friday is difficult to understand, isn't it? It's one of those days that we can be tempted to just endure, to just go through so that we can get to the good parts of Easter weekend. But Good Friday is an opportunity. It's an invitation for us to pause and reflect And so today we're going to take a few moments to remember Jesus's journey to the cross. And as we walk through these next few moments, we're going to take some time to ask ourselves, why? Why was this the path that Jesus chose? And why did this path seem so hard, so difficult, maybe so unnecessary? Today we're going to answer the question, why would Jesus choose the hard way to save the world. Now we left off on Palm Sunday with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And because there is now a dead man walking throughout the town, all of Jerusalem is buzzing about Jesus. Everyone is talking about him. Many are thrilled that that he's here. They're excited what it might mean for their future. As Pastor Jonathan pointed out, these people are hoping that Jesus was there to liberate them from Roman rule. But there's also some groups of people who are far from excited that Jesus is now in Jerusalem. In fact, the religious leaders, they are on edge about this man named Jesus that people are claiming is the Messiah. These leaders are furious with Jesus because he's teaching about a religion that is centered around our hearts rather than dependent on rules. They want and need to put an end to all of this commotion. And so things are about to turn very dark and very difficult in the days to come. Now, before we get into the story today, it's important to note that Jesus is completely aware of what is about to take place. That's because Jesus has foreknowledge of every event that will ever take place on our world before it happens. And the crazy thing is that despite this foreknowledge, despite Jesus knowing what's going to happen, he willingly chooses this adventure. Jesus chooses this path, knowing that it's going to be the hard way. The truth is that Jesus was prepared for the cross before he ever was swaddled in the manger. Jesus fully knew what Good Friday would entail before he was ever born in Bethlehem. And because he knew what was about to take place, Jesus did not want his friends to be caught off guard or surprised about what was to come. In fact, he had been preparing his disciples for the past three years as they anticipated the Holy Week. 
And so as we start our story today, Jesus and his disciples have traveled to Jerusalem along with many other Jews, and they've come to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem together. Now, Passover was such a significant moment for the, from the Jewish calendar. During Passover, God's people would remember how God had rescued them from Egyptian rule, liberating them from Pharaoh by using Moses to lead them out of Egypt. During the Passover celebration, they would remember how God had sent the angel of death into Egypt, but had instructed his people to put the blood of a perfect lamb over their doorpost to signify that they were his and they belonged to God. And because of this blood stain over their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their houses and not visit them. Now, this was their favorite story. It was their story and they would remember it often. They would remind themselves of the promise that God had made to them, that one day God would send another deliverer who would be even greater than Moses. And so they had eagerly been anticipating this Messiah's arrival for hundreds of years. And so in our story, thousands of God's people have gathered in Jerusalem to remember all that God had done for them and all that he had promised to do for them in the future. And I find it so interesting that Jesus, their promised deliverer, was right in the city with them. The king that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years was celebrating Passover with them. Now, the Bible tells us that on that night, Jesus sat down to celebrate Passover with his friends, the disciples. Now, it's been a whirlwind couple of days. There's been fame and excitement, and I'm sure they're all just looking forward to having kind of a chill night together. The Bible says that they're all relaxing, their feet are kicked back, and they're reclining at the dinner table, just enjoying good food, enjoying each other's company. And after the busy week that they have just had, it's probably exactly what they needed. But Jesus, you know what? He isn't concerned at all about their comfort and enjoyment of the evening. Jesus is set on preparing his friends for what is to come. And so Jesus starts off their meal by saying this to them. He says, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What a buzzkill. His friends are ready to celebrate and enjoy this memorable evening together, but this night is clearly not going how they had anticipated. If you've ever been to a party where someone says something that kills the mood or drains the energy from the room, you probably know how the disciples are feeling in this moment. They're probably hoping everyone can just ignore Jesus' statement right here and move on with the night and have a good time. But Jesus, he's not done. He continues by saying to them, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Okay, so let's review for a moment what has just happened, how their evening is going, shall we? In just a few short sentences, Jesus has let his friends know that his suffering is about to begin, that this will be his last meal, and that one of them will be his betrayer. You see, these first two announcements, they're difficult, but they're not impossible to recover from. But this third announcement, this third statement, well, the disciples couldn't ignore that one. Shock and horror probably would have filled their faces as Jesus said that one of them would betray him. 
Because in that moment, they couldn't fathom anything but love for their leader and their friend. But hours later, it happened just as Jesus said that it would. After they had finished their meal, Jesus and his disciples, they headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And because Jesus knew what was to come, he was tucked kind of in the corner praying to his father, asking God for strength. You see, prayer was Jesus' go-to throughout all of his years on the earth. This connection between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it was extraordinary. We can read about it all throughout scripture. They were constantly connected. They were in constant communication with each other. They depended on each other. And it was during this time as Jesus was praying to his father in the garden that one of his disciples, Judas, entered the garden with some Roman soldiers. Matthew 26 verse 28 says this, the traitor Judas had prearranged a signal to betray Jesus. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Judas had told the soldiers. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave Jesus the kiss. Jesus said to Judas, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come here for. Then the soldiers grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. You see, this moment of betrayal sets into motion the plan that Jesus knew was coming. The next day, Jesus was brought before the ruler of the day, Pilate, to be judged for the false crimes that the Romans had charged him with. Pilate, after looking at the claims, announced to the crowd that he couldn't see any validity to the claims and that he wanted to release Jesus as a free man. But the unrelenting crowd roared, crucify him to the point that Pilate finally agreed to hand Jesus over to be crucified. And so in Matthew 27, we later read that Pilate ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown, and they put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before Jesus in mockery and taunted him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and they grabbed the stick and they struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking Jesus, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. You see, after this brutal beating, the soldiers led Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem to a place outside the city walls called Golgotha. Isn't it heartbreaking that only days earlier, Jesus had been welcomed on the streets of Jerusalem as a celebrated king. And now he was walking those very same streets with blood dripping down his back while the crowd mocked him. You see, when Jesus chose the hard way, he knew the path that he was choosing and where it would lead him. Jesus knew that even on Palm Sunday, when he entered the city as a king, he would be forced out of the city and nailed to a cross only a few days later. And with every whip, with every mocking cry from the crowd, with every piercing pain and every betrayal, Jesus continued to choose the hard way over and over. 
I wonder, have you been there before? Maybe you've chosen the path that you're going to go down and you know it's going to be difficult. You're aware that it's not going to be easy. It's not the easy way, but you know that it's the right way and so you set down on it. You're determined after step after step, regardless of the difficulties that you know are going to come. You're able to stay strong and endure and continue and keep the course until the difficulties arise. At that moment, how many of us have thought about changing up our path a little bit? How many of us have weighed out if the pain and the reality of the sacrifice was even worth it? But here we have Jesus, and he's on the hard path, and he's determined to stay the course. With each step that he takes towards the cross was a declaration that the hard way was worth it. Every step that he took towards the cross was a declaration that you and I are worth it. But we must wonder today a little bit, why did Jesus not just make it stop? He had all the power. Why didn't he just say enough? Why would Jesus go through with this? Why would Jesus take on this unnecessary pain? Why was the king of the world and the sustainer of the planet dying on a cross that was made from a tree that he himself had created? Today, I want to answer those questions for us with three simple reasons why Jesus stayed up on that cross. The first reason is this. Jesus chose to be the way when there was no other way. Jesus chose to be the way. You see, when God created the world, God enjoyed a close relationship with Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that he walked and he talked with them in the garden, that he spent time with them. But when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, that's the moment that sin entered the world and changed humanity's relationship with God. From that point on, God could no longer be in direct relationship with his creation until the cost of sin was paid. And the cost of sin is a perfect life. But because there are no perfect humans, God's people started to offer a perfect lamb instead. And so during the Passover, God's people would bring with them perfect lambs and they would have the priest sacrifice them on their behalf. And those sacrifices would cover the payment of their sins until the next time that they could come and to the temple and offer another lamb. And so God's people would do this over and over, year after year, to continually pay the price of their sins. But this Passover was different because Jesus himself had decided that he was going to be the Passover lamb. Hebrews explains it like this. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never fully take away sins. But Jesus offered himself as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he became the final sacrificial Passover lamb, good for all time and good for all people. Because Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth, he was able to become the sacrifice that could satisfy the full cost of our sins. No other sacrifice would ever be required. But this sacrifice cost Jesus more than we could ever comprehend. And in Jesus's final words, they help us understand what the cost of the cross 
was for Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 45 says this. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, reason number two why Jesus stayed up on that cross is this. Jesus chose to be abandoned so that we could be embraced. In the days leading up to the cross, Jesus had already been abandoned by his creation. He had already been abandoned by his friends. Jesus knew what abandonment was like, but abandonment by God was on a whole different level. The plan had always been for Jesus to come to our world and die for the sins of the world. And the plan had always been for God to apply all of the sins of the whole world onto Jesus' shoulders as he died on the cross. But because sin makes it impossible for anyone to have a relationship with God, the connection between Jesus and his father had to be removed at that moment as Jesus was dying on the cross. You see, this connection had been in place since the beginning of time, and it was severed when Jesus' last moments on the cross. In reality, God stepped away from Jesus while Jesus carried the full weight of the sins of the world. And in that moment, Jesus was left completely alone, not only abandoned by his friends and the whole world, but now abandoned by his father. Jesus willingly gave up relationship with his father so that you and I could have relationship once again with God. Often I think we think of the loss of Jesus's physical life as the cost of the cross, but the true cost of the cross was the severing of Jesus's connection with his father. I'll say that, that again. The true cost of the cross was the severing of Jesus' connection with his father. And this great act of sacrifice leads us to the final reason why Jesus stayed up on that cross. You see, Jesus chose to be broken so that we could break free. From the moment that Adam and Eve had taken a bite of that forbidden fruit, sin had entangled God's beautiful creation. And it was impossible for us to untangle ourselves. But when Jesus's body was broken on the cross, the Bible tells us that his sacrifice liberated every believer. Every person that calls themselves a friend of God was liberated in that moment when Jesus died on the cross. We read in Matthew that the moment when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple, this was a thick curtain that was in the temple, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were broke open. You see, this curtain was there to separate God from humanity and their sins. No human could go past the curtain because that is where God dwelt, and he could not be around sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, because his perfect life had fully satisfied the cost of sin, there was no longer a need for the curtain. Now God could dwell with his people again. Humanity was no longer stuck in the cycle of sins and sacrifices and sins and sacrifices because the cost of sin had been paid once and for all. And so the curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom because only God could do that. Only God could rip it from the top to the bottom. God did that himself. You see, Jesus paid the ultimate price 
the price that you and I, we never could satisfy. And in doing so, Jesus restored the most important part of creation that sin had destroyed, that relationship between God and between humanity. A few years ago, we decided that we needed a basement TV. And so my husband started TV shopping for our family. Now, Skip is the type of person who agonizes over purchases. He researches every little detail before he's willing to spend a dime. And so he spent months looking into this TV and deciding which one would be best for us. And when the TV arrived, Skip spent a whole weekend building this beautiful shiplap wall for this TV. It was almost like we were welcoming another child into our family. He purchased all the necessary gadgets. He prepared the room for its arrival. He even rearranged all of the furniture for optimal viewing. And when that TV was ready, we sat down with our kids and we told them there was only one rule about this new TV. They needed to be careful around it and they had to keep their toys away from it. Pretty simple, right? Well, from that point on, our family began to enjoy endless hours of entertainment. We had Friday family movie nights cuddled up on the couch with popcorn. On Saturday mornings, our kids would wake up and they would go downstairs on their own and watch TV, leaving Skip and I to sleep in for hours. In the evenings when the kids went to bed, Skip and I would go downstairs and we would watch our own shows. This TV ended up being a fantastic purchase for our entire family. Well, about a year into owning this TV, Skip and I were downstairs one evening getting ready to watch a show, and as we settled into the couch, Skip had the remote, and he, he turned on the TV, and I instantly knew that something was very wrong. You see, there was a huge crack in the TV when it was turned on, and all this, like, static spread from that crack. We instantly knew that the kids had hit something and that the TV was now broken. So the next day, because the kids were sleeping, we sat them down and we explained what had happened. And we discovered, as they chatted with us, that they had been playing a game with a slinky and a bat cave. It was a large bat cave like this big. And they had attached the slinky to the bat cave and somebody was lassoing it around like a cowboy. And the bat cave had accidentally hit the TV. Well, there was no repairing the TV. It was broken. It was destroyed. And so Skip and I chatted, and we decided that our kids needed to learn a lesson. And so we explained to them that because they had disobeyed the rules about playing with toys near the TV, we now had a broken TV, and Skip and I didn't have the money to purchase a new one. So we explained to them that mommy and daddy would now have to go to work, and we would have to save our money so that we could replace the TV, and it would take several months before we could do that. Well, the next morning, one of our children brought me this note with a $5 bill attached to it. And it says this, I'm sorry your TV got broken. See, she was hoping that this $5 bill would help to purchase a new TV for our family. But the problem was that our kids could never afford the cost of a TV on their own. They had no ability on their own to pay for their big mistake. It was impossible. And so I thanked her for her contribution, but I explained that it wasn't nearly enough to purchase a new TV. And I've thought about this note often since I received it, because you and I and all of humanity are kind of like my kids. We did the crime, but we cannot pay the cost. The price for our sin is the cost of a perfect life, 
So that's an impossibility for us. We have no ability to cover the price of our sins. Only Jesus could do that. Just like only Skip and I would be able to cover the cost of a new TV. The cost of a new TV was mine and Skip's alone to bear. And the sacrifice was actually ours to carry too. Not only did we have to cover the price of a new TV, we also had to make an incredible sacrifice so that our children could learn a lesson. And the cost of that sacrifice was probably even greater than the cost of just buying a new TV. All of a sudden, the kids didn't have a fun hangout space in the basement to hang out in. So all their books and all their Legos and their crafts and their toys all were back in our spaces. And because there was no TV on the wall, they barely went down in the basement. And so our quiet Saturday mornings turned into kids coming into our room early, wanting breakfast, wanting to talk. They wouldn't leave us alone on Saturday mornings any longer. You see, the full weight of the sacrifice of those months was on Skip and I's shoulders. It would have been so easy in those moments to just cave in, go replace the TV, buy a TV. We had this conversation often, let's just go buy a new TV so things can get back to normal. But Skip and I determined that the cost of the sacrifice that we were making was worth it to us because of the possible outcome, changed behaviors in our children. Now, eventually, Skip and I, we did repurchase a TV for the basement. And our story, it could have ended in one of two ways. Either our kids could have quickly forgotten about the incident, or they could have remembered. Thankfully for our family, our kids have continued to remember. Not a movie night will go by in our house when someone doesn't bring up the months that we spent living without a basement TV. You see, they've thanked us over and over for going to work and saving our money so that we could have a TV in the basement again. And they're constantly reminding each other to keep their toys away from the TV. So those months living without a TV were an incredible sacrifice for Skip and I. But we now both agree that it was worth the sacrifice. The same is true with Jesus. He decided that the weight of the sacrifice required on the cross was worth it. He could have easily decided in those final moments that the path was just too hard, that he really didn't need saving. The truth is that he didn't need to die on a cross. He didn't sin. He had a perfect life. And after 33 years living on the earth, Jesus could have decided that humanity wasn't worth it at all and returned to his throne in heaven and been done with it. But Jesus decided that the love that he had and the desire that he had to restore relationship with humanity was worth the incredible pain that he was going to have to endure. And so Jesus willingly chose to come and die so that you and I could live. And because of this, you and I are given a choice. We get to choose how we're going to respond to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. You see, we either can live a life of thankfulness and gratitude for the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, remembering what he did and living our lives to him. Or we can just move on with our lives and act as if the sacrifice was never made. Like, hey, I'll see you on Good Friday next year, Jesus. In a moment, we're going to participate in a time of communion. And we're going to read the same words that Jesus shared with his disciples during their Passover meal. But before we do that, 
the Bible tells us, encourages us that we should examine our hearts and consider what our response to the cross would be. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever considered your response to the cross. Maybe you've never really had a relationship with Jesus before. But maybe today you would say, Pastor Jessica, I want that for my life. I want to experience this relationship that Jesus would die for and that I was created for. If that's you, if you're ready to respond with thankfulness for what Jesus did on the cross for you, I would encourage you to pray this very simple prayer with me. And it goes like this. Jesus, I'm overwhelmed by the sacrifice that you made on my behalf. And I'm incredibly thankful. Thank you for loving me so much, Jesus, that you would come to this world and you would die on a cross for me. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. And if you said that prayer with me today, we have some great next steps for you in a moment. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to participate in communion with us, which is a beautiful way to start your journey and your relationship with Jesus. But just before we do that, I know that there's some of us today who already have a relationship with Jesus. Today, we need to consider again what our response will be to Jesus' sacrifice. I wonder would others recognize that your life is lived in thankfulness to him? Like my kids, do you take on a posture of gratitude? Does it flow out of your life and your mouth? Have you responded with a yes to Jesus's invitation to lay down your life and embrace a relationship with him? Or do you act as if the cross is of little significance to your life? Do you go about your life as if you really don't need a savior, as if you can do it all on your own? Maybe you'd admit today, Pastor Jessica, you know what? I'm guilty of living my life as if Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not necessary. Whether I've meant to, or maybe I've just become indifferent to the cross, I know that I need to change my response. If that's you, why don't we just take a moment right now before communion to repent of our attitude and ask God for forgiveness. Let's not miss this opportunity to realign our hearts. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to say this very simple prayer with me. Jesus, please forgive me for the ways that I have acted, as if the cross is of little significance to my life. Today, I thank you for the sorrow that you faced on my behalf. Thank you for your nail-pierced hands. I recognize that it should have been me on the cross. I should have been paying the price for my sins. But I know that was impossible. And so you willingly gave up your life to secure my future with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you that if you prayed either of those prayers today, Jesus heard them. And as willingly as Jesus chose to come and die on the cross, he embraces us in this moment and we are given a fresh start in our relationship with him today. Today is a new day and it's a new opportunity 
to respond to the significance of his sacrifice. And so just before we take communion together, our team is going to lead us in a song. And as they do, I'm going to encourage you to take a moment to reflect on the truth of these lyrics. Because even though the people may have been hoping for an earthly king, what we all really needed was a savior. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.